different ways and, and different times in our lives. And, and usually we can learn lessons through different situations and circumstances. One thing I've learned over the years and discovered is that there are many ways to motivate people. Those of you that have businesses or you are a boss of, over other people, you know that sometimes you have to do something to motivate your employees. As parents, sometimes we have to figure out the correct ways to motivate our children. Amen? I didn't hear two of mine that would say amen to that, but I preach that over and over and over to my kids, that I want to motivate you. Sometimes we use fear as motivation, and sometimes fear can, we've talked about this before, fear can either cause us to, to just stop in our tracks, but also fear can be a motivator. And I'm going to, sometimes I was raised in that fearful mentality of, you better do this out of fear of getting a spanking, because that's what's coming if you don't obey this. And that was my motivation at times. There are times when my motivation was reward. If you, if you do what you're supposed to do, there's, there's something better waiting for you. There's a reward, there's a prize at the end. And yet, there's also times when motivation is simply a change of mind. And we have to adjust our focus, adjust our perspective, if you will, and change our mind. I heard this story uh, uh, about motivation and changing our mind that really, uh, I thought was really, really good. I want to tell it to you. There's, there, was a, there was a man that was a motivational speaker. That's what he did for a living. He traveled around all over the country, speaking to, to large crowds and motivating them to be better people, to be more content in life, to be happier, more joyful people. And as he was away on one of his trips, and he was, and he was speaking to uh, all of these people and motivating them, he came home, and as he pulled in the driveway of his house, he saw his little boy sitting on the front porch, just very um, downtrodden, very, very sad, uh, seemingly very, uh, very beat up emotionally. And he went up to his little boy, and he said, son, What's wrong? Why, what's, what's going on? And he said, Dad, um, you know that turtle you bought me? Um, the, my turtles died, and I'm, and I'm very sad about it, and I just don't know what to do and how I'm going to do this. And, and the motivational speaker, Dad, he was thinking to himself, okay, I do this for a living. My son is really dejected and, and downtrodden. I've got to lift him up. I've got to encourage him and motivate him. How am I going to do this? And so he begins to think. He's like, okay, all right, son, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something that's going to be very special for your turtle. And we're going, to, we're going to celebrate this turtle's life the best way I know how. And so I have this perfect little shoebox in my closet that's been sitting there, and it was to be the perfect size for a great little casket for your turtle. And we're going to go get that box, and then we're going to go into Mom's craft room, and we're going to get the, the, the best material she has, the silkiest, smoothest material, and we're going to have her sew a little cushion and pillow for this turtle, and we're going to lay this turtle on this beautiful material in this perfect box. And then we're going to have your mom come out, and we're going to lay this, this box and this turtle on the piano, and we're going to sing some songs, and we're going, to, we're going to just praise the Lord for the great life that this turtle had. And we're going to give this turtle the best funeral this turtle would have ever dreamed of. And the boy's starting to come out of it. Oh, this sounds so good. And they begin to do all the work, and they get the box, and they, they make the cushion and everything, and they sit the turtle on the piano. And the mom sits down, and she strums the first chord of the first song. And all of a sudden, that turtle's head pops out of the shell. And then all of a sudden, the legs pop out of the shell. 
And the little boy who was all dejected at one time is excited for a funeral, says, Daddy, Daddy, quick, quick, kill it, kill it. We're trying to give this turtle a funeral. You see, our perspective can change our mind, can't it? Our perspective can change our mind. And sometimes we look at different people in our life and we think, you know what? There's some great people in our life that have done some great things and they must have had a great perspective on life. And one of those great people in our history of our country was President Teddy Roosevelt. And somebody said, Mr. President, you are a great man. To which President Roosevelt replied, I am a simple, ordinary man who is highly motivated, who is highly motivated. And many times I think we look at people who accomplish great things and they do great things for, for others and, and for themselves and they become great people. We think of them as very extraordinary people, that they are special, that they are over the top. But lately my perspective has changed a little bit. My perspective is this, that I believe that God uses ordinary people, sometimes in very extraordinary ways, to build his church and to do his work. I also believe that God uses ordinary people in very ordinary ways to build his church and to do his work. And I also believe still that God uses imperfect people in imperfect situations to build his church and to do his work, which fits into why I believe God has given us a vision and a goal for our church at PCN, that we can relate to this because I believe that God will use us, us, real people, in real relationships to be able to connect and engage in meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ that will change us forever. Amen? In our text today, I believe Jesus is telling us, he's reminding us that he will build his church. But he says something very critical to all of us, and he said it to Peter, and I believe he's saying it to us today. I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Let's read it. In Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to begin reading with verse number 13. You follow along as I read from God's word. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Sometimes we stop there, but Jesus didn't stop there. He says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the truth of your word, that you sent your son Jesus all of those years ago to set an example, but even more importantly, 
to teach us, to show us your ways. And today, God, as we look into your word in this specific instance with Jesus talking to his disciples, God, help us to have a perspective shift today. That according to your word, you can help us to see how we can help you take the keys and do the work that will build your church. Would you speak your word to us, we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm convinced that one of the greatest hindrances or roadblocks that is facing the church in America today, and I would say even the church here in Pike County and Pittsfield today, is that God's people, church people, you and I, we are not highly motivated to take the keys from the Lord. Roll up our sleeves and begin to do the work that it takes to help him accomplish his goal. You see, I, I do believe that it's not enough for us to have a desire to be used by God, to desire great things. I don't believe it's enough for us to talk about that bad word that I said we wouldn't mention anymore as a church, that potential word. I don't think it's enough for us to have a desire for, for great things, but reality is that we need to be motivated to act on those desires. And I realize that part of my job as your pastor is to motivate us, to begin to take the keys and understand that we have responsibility in this thing called life, <laughs> in reaching lost people. So for a few moments today, I want to try and, and do that. I want to try to change your perspective, to motivate us today to do the work that God is calling us to do. So I want to ask you this question. You, you've come to know my, my method of preaching probably at this point. I like to ask you questions to get you thinking about something. And I want you to be thinking about the church, the church locally right here in Pittsfield, but also the church globally, the church big C, what are we doing? And so the first question I want to ask us today is, when is the last time you've stuck your neck out for Jesus? You've stuck your neck out for Jesus. In other words, when's the last time that you've taken a chance? You've taken a risk. You've, you've wondered, you know what, is this going to cost me a friendship? Is this going to cost me a promotion? Is this going to cost me something? When's the last time we've taken a risk or stuck our neck out for Jesus? Another way to put it is, have you put it all on the line? Have you, have you said, you know what, I'm all in. God, whatever you want, I'm all in for you. No matter what it is, no matter what goes on, no matter what circumstances arise, I am putting it all on the line for you. And when I think about us taking risks, us taking chances for God's work, it makes me think about the church. And I've said in recent days and in recent years in my ministry, and I, and I think that God had to remind me of this personally, because as a pastor, we, we carry a lot of weight in the growth of the church. We carry a lot of weight for the numbers and the, the conversations that take place. We carry a lot of weight because we believe at times that it's our job to build the church. And that's not the right perspective. And I've said over the years, over these last couple years in particular, that it's given me relief because it is not my job 
to build this church. It is not my job to make this church be all that God wants it to be. Guess whose job it is? It's Jesus' job. But you and I still have work to do. Amen? I'm, I'm glad for that because at times there's, there's, you know, we think about sports analogies, but I also think about different things where, you know, we just came through the Super Bowl and all the football. You know who got the most credit for that Super Bowl win was the quarterback. And the quarterback gets credit for the wins and the losses, but you know, the quarterback's just one person. And in the church, the pastor gets a lot of the credit for the good things. And if the things go bad, guess what? The pastor's kind of ushered out the door. But we all have a role to play. We all need to be motivated to stick our head out, our neck out, for Jesus. And so this, this begs another question that I just want to pose to all of us today. And I want, I want your response real quick. How many of you here today would like to be part of a great church? Would you just raise your hand? You want to be a part of a great church. Some of you, some of you don't know quite yet. Okay. Um, hang on with me then. If, you, if you're not sure, hang on with me. I want to answer that question. If you want to be a part of a great church, we need to look at some things that motivate a great church. Let's look at it real quick. What motivates a great church? I believe it comes straight from God's Word on what motivates a great church. The first thing is this. The first thing that motivates a great church is the great commandment. And we see this in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12. Mark's Gospel says this, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Very clear. What motivates a great church? Love the Lord your God with everything that we have, and then love our neighbor as ourself. Seems pretty easy, seems pretty simple. Let's do it, amen? All right, wake up, here we go. Second thing that motivates a great church, the great commission. The great commission. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Let me stop right there. Jesus came to earth as a human being. He left the splendors and the glory of heaven. But guess what? This is something that's really stuck out to me. Is that Jesus was then given his authority back. Have you ever realized that? I, I just assumed that when Jesus was sent, he was still God and he was still given all the privileges, but he was limited in the human flesh. And as I read this more and more, I realize that Jesus had been given that authority back while he's here on earth. And Jesus has been given this authority. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he goes on to say this. Now go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus comes down from heaven. He has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And he says to us, guess what? I need your help. I'm going to recruit you on this mission. You have a role to play. Go and make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. 
all of these things. That's the co-mission. Jesus is going to build the church, but he tells us, you have a role to play. If you want to be part of a great church, we need to be motivated by the great commandment. Give God everything. Consecrate your life to him. Surrender completely to him. And then when you do that, guess what he's going to say? Guess what? You're on my team now. Let's get to work. Here's the keys to the new car. You ready? Let's go. Let's get to work. He's giving us the keys. He's giving us the authority that he's been given, and he's saying, you know what? Guys, it's time to get to work. It's time to get to work. I want to share with you some very practical, some very biblical truths today that we must do in order to be part of a great church here at PCN. Here's what we must do in order to be part of a great church. We must, number one, we must recognize that God wants his church to grow. We must recognize that God wants his church to grow. Did you know that there are some people in the world today, in churches all over the world today, who do not believe this? There are some people in churches today that just want to sit in their chair, sit in their pew, they want to sit around, they want to cuddle each other, and they want to just hold everybody close to them and say, you know what, we're good. We know Jesus, we're okay. There's some people that don't understand that there's more people out there that need Jesus than are in our little holy huddle. There are some people that don't recognize that God has a mission and the church is his way to reach that mission. God wants his church to grow. I'm here to tell you today that as long as there are lost people in the world, there are people that don't know Jesus. There are people even that know Jesus and know who he is, but they don't know everything that God commands of us, just like the Great Commission says. If there are still people out in the world that don't know those things, then guess what? God still wants his church to have an impact. God wants his church to grow. But there's some very key things that will cause the church, the church's growth to be stunted. What will stunt the growth of the church? This is not just about the church, okay? Because the church, and we're going to talk about this in just a minute, the church is you and I. It's people. It's us. So if the church isn't growing, there's something probably that's not connected in our lives. So I would also venture to say, what will stunt the growth of the church? It would also say, what will stunt the growth of your marriage? What will stunt the growth of your family relationships? What will kill your, your, your business or your, your, your livelihood? What will kill, what will stunt the growth of anything good in your life? Here are three things that I want us to see very quickly. What will stunt the growth of the church? Number one, comfort. Comfort. Number two, complacency. And number three, being satisfied. I remember driving around Lincoln, Nebraska with my dad. My dad's a pastor, as many of you know. And uh, we would drive around, we'd go play golf together. We'd just, we'd go and we'd be in the car together. We'd start talking. And after God had called me into ministry and I'm trying to figure all, this out, all of this out, I remember driving down our street that we lived on and we were, I don't remember where we were going, but I remember exactly on the road where we were at when I said to my dad, who at this time had been in ministry probably 20, 25 years. And I said to him, I said, Dad, do you ever get satisfied with the work that you're doing? Because in my mind, in my little immature, still growing up, still trying to figure this all out mind, I thought, you know what, I never want to be satisfied with the work that I'm doing for Jesus Christ. 
I never want to be able to sit on my hands and just settle for being satisfied. I never want to be a part of a church that just says, you know what, we're good. We got this. There's, there's a difference between comfort, complacency, being satisfied, and being content. Okay, the Bible says to be content. I'm not talking about contentment. I'm talking about that comfort level. When you, when you snuggle up with your favorite blanket and you don't want to get out of bed or you don't want to get off the couch, guess what's going to happen if you do that? Nobody in your house eats. You know, you don't get anything done. You don't go to work. Then you don't have a paycheck. You can't keep the lights on. You see what happens when you get comfortable? You see what happens when you get complacent? You just don't care? Some people will get all wrapped up in their cozy little comfort that they just stop caring. You know what? Who cares if the lights go out? I can sleep better. Yeah. Who cares if there's no food? Then I can lose weight, you know, whatever, you know. And we get complacent. We don't care. If we start coming to church and we get complacent, it's like, you know what? I don't care that we haven't had any baptisms in three years. What? I don't care that we don't have new people coming to our church every week. I don't care. Why? Because we're fine in our little comfort, complacency little huddle. I'm good. No. I don't want to be satisfied because we're the third largest church on the Illinois district. I don't want to be satisfied because we have all of our debts paid and there's no debt and there's income coming in and we can take care of the lights and the bills and we can do ministry. I don't want to be satisfied with that. Why? Because there's 2,000 or more people out there that don't know Jesus right here in this town. And I don't want to be satisfied until every single one of them knows that Jesus loves them and that they can come to a place and they can feel that love and they can feel that acceptance. And there's not people here that are just complacent and they don't care about them. In fact, we care so much about them. We want Jesus' love to just spew out of this place. Amen? Yeah, come on. We want to be blessed by this. We don't want to be comfortable. God, help us. It'll kill the church. It'll kill your life if you get to a place where you just don't care. God, help us. If we want to be part of a great church, we've got to be motivated. And if we want to be motivated, we've got to realize that we have a role to play. And we must recognize that God wants his church to grow. Matthew 18, 14 says, In the same way your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have life everlasting. Matthew 28.19 again says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, whosoever will may come. They may come and know and realize they're accepted. They're a part of a great church. Why? Not because there's a great pastor or a great staff or a great board or a great person. They realize that it's a great God who's doing a great work and his people love other people. You know, I, I get to spend a lot of time uh, with some of you, and I love that. I love getting to know you and spending time with you. And uh, lately, especially this time of year, I get to spend a lot of time with with uh, Russ Monroe, and uh, I asked him if I could talk about him for a minute. But I, I, we go to ball games together, and we'll go and sit and watch ball games. And Russ, uh, Russ is two times in his life, Russ has been the greatest man there was for the job. I don't know if you know this about Russ. Russ is a two-time state champion basketball coach. 
So when you go to a basketball game with Russ Monroe, you learn something about basketball, okay? And I, tell, I told him this last night, in fact. I said, you know what? I'd never go to a game with you and not learn something. I love it. I love to just hear him talk. Why? Because Russ was two times in his career, he was the greatest coach that season that anybody in junior high ever was in the state of Illinois. Isn't that cool? Two times. Two times state champion. One time can be a fluke, right? But two times, that's a real deal. One of the things that Russ has told me this year, just a couple weeks ago, in fact, he was talking about his team and one of his state title teams, and he said, you know what? My players knew that I didn't want a superstar. I needed five kids that were willing to come out and play hard. And if they would play hard and do their job, we were going to win ball games. I didn't need a superstar. I didn't need one great player. I needed five players committed to realize that we were going to win games together. And I thought, that is so good because we don't need, we don't, guess what? Pittsfield doesn't need the best pastor. And everybody said, amen. Okay? We don't, you don't have the best one. But I'll tell you this, if we can all recognize that God wants his church to grow and we can all step up and do our part, then guess what? We're going to win some souls for Christ. It's a little bit better than some ball games. We're going to win some people for Christ when we recognize God wants his church to grow. He doesn't need superstars. We don't have to be the best at everything. But we've got to be really willing to recognize that today God wants his church to grow. As long as there's people that are lost and broken and hurting, he wants them to know him better. I believe God wants his church to grow spiritually and numerically. Amen? In order to be a part of a great church here at PCN, we must recognize that God wants his church to grow. Number two, we must realize that you influence that growth. You influence that growth. There are many churches that are open today in America and in the world. Many churches that, that worship in different ways. There's different styles of music. There's different styles of preaching. There's different orders of service. Many churches have different forms of, of worship and preaching and, and ministry. Many churches with many different models. Many churches with different buildings and structures and tools that they use. But one, one pastor that I've, that I've read over the years, he, he said it this way. He said this about the local church. He said, the local church is the only hope our world has. And he wasn't saying that the church was the Savior. But the church, you and I, are the only hope the world that doesn't know Jesus has. Because if we don't do something about it, the world will never know what they need to be in here for. The local church is the only hope our world has. We sang about it this morning. God, give us, give us reason to take the church outside the walls and give people who are lost and hurting and broken hope. The only way the church goes outside the walls is when you leave this place. We need to realize that, that you influence that growth. You see, God's plan was for the local church to reach lost and dying world where there is no hope. And guess what? I believe that if the church doesn't do his job, her job, there's, there's no plan B. And here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's the structure of church or, or organizational religion. That's not what I'm saying. But what is the church? Who is the church? It's you and me. The church is people. The church isn't a structure. It isn't a, a set of ministry goals. The church is you living out your life for Christ so that others can see it. 
The church is me helping you to, to grow in your walk and me going out into the world as well and living our life. Why? Because we influence the world. Christians should be influencing the world over and over and over again in more ways than just the political front. Amen? I hate to tell you this, but our government's going to go to hell in a handbasket whether we make an influence in it or not. The government is not eternity. We should have purpose to influence our world beyond just political scenes. Amen? As much as we can go out there and talk about that, we should be able to go out there and say, you know what, Jesus has changed my life more than President Trump. Right? If not, maybe we should close and have an altar call right now. Maybe if you need your life transformed more than Donald Trump has done for you, maybe you need to come and repent and pray. Donald Trump is not the eternal Savior of the world. Jesus Christ is. And he says, I want to build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why? Because I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom and you influence that growth. God help us. We are the church. But here's the thing that's important. As God gives us the key, it's because of God's word that we must realize there are two key factors to our influence. Number one is your attitude is tremendously important. Your attitude is tremendously important. A couple weeks ago, um, I went to pick up my daughter from, from cheer practice. And uh, she she has, is she in here? Where is she? Hi, Emma. We have always tried to steer our children in, in ways that will help them to flourish as children, as kids, as growing up. And our boys love athletics and sports, and we've pointed them in that direction. Emma... We haven't found that all the time. Gymnastics was an open door, but cheer, if you've ever watched this girl cheer at a ball game, she was made for that. Okay? And I was picking her up from cheer one day, and she gets in the car, and I said, how was your day? And she was so discouraged. She said, Dad, I'm horrible. I couldn't do anything right today. Every time I try to do something, I mess it up. And I was just, I was just getting in people's way, and I couldn't do the right thing. And I said, Emma, I said, Emma, is that really true? I said, Emma, you're the best cheerleader on the team. I said, when I go to a ball game, you're the only one that's smiling. That's half the battle right there. I said, you're the one that's given all your effort every single time. I said, you're the one that's going out there and trying your best every single time. I said, just because you made a mistake doesn't make you a failure. doesn't mean you messed everything up. And I hope, I don't know if she'd tell you this or not, I hope by the time we got home she realized that it's okay to mess up. But it doesn't have to ruin our whole day. You know, our attitude is tremendously important. If you come into these, this church building with a poor attitude, you influence those around you. And even more so, when you walk out of here with a poor attitude, oh, Lord, help us. I know I'm not going to be everybody's favorite. I get that. But please just leave it here between us. If you have a bad attitude when you walk out of these doors, boy, that influences a lot of people. 
Why are you so upset? It's Sunday. It's a day off. It's a day of rest. Well, I just went to church, bless God. We didn't sing any of my favorite songs. He preached on something that hurt my toes. I just don't know why I keep going there. I don't know why anybody would come if you have an attitude like that. Your attitude is tremendously important. If we want to be part of a great church, we've got to realize that you influence that growth. And one of the ways you influence that is through your attitude. Philippians 2, Paul tells us that we need to have the same attitude of that of Christ Jesus. That's God's word, not my word. Have the same attitude of Christ Jesus. Your attitude is tremendously important. The second thing is this. Your actions are absolutely essential. Are absolutely essential. What are you doing to help make this church a great church for God? What part do you play? Are you faithful in your attendance and your giving? Are you faithful in how you serve and how you share your faith with others? You see, sometimes I think we get so excited about the life of the church that we forget that we have a role to play in that. I was sharing with our board in the last meeting in particular. I said, you know what? When God is doing something new in our life and in our midst, we want to be a part of it. And we don't want to miss anything that we have, that God has for us. And we, we want to be involved. We want to be included. But a lot of times we want, to, we want to receive it. We want to take it in. We want to accept it rather than going out and being a part of it. And I shared with the board in, in our last board meeting, I said, you know what, uh, we're going through a time where we have a lot of some issues that are going on in different ministries of our church that I don't think our board knows about because we're, we're not in it like we should be. Can I switch to this other mic? And so one of the issues that, that I believe that we have, and I shared the issues coming from my perspective as a pastor, and I know their perspective is different, but we started talking about this, and it was the issue of our children's ministry. And I said, I said to them, I said, we have, on, on a good Sunday, we have 40 people downstairs. 40 people downstairs. And, and we have a, a place where we send our kids downstairs that, that Pastor Alicia does a great job with, and she begins to teach them and train them. And there's more life downstairs than a lot of areas in our church, and it's awesome to be part of. But guess what? There's not a lot of people down there helping. I said, we've got growth issues, we've got safety issues, we've got concerns, and, and we're so busy as the church wanting to take in the new life and the excitement that's going on that we fail to realize where we're not hands-on or eyes-on, we don't see a problem. And so I passed out a sign-up sheet. And I said to every board member, I said, you need to sign up and you need to go spend at least a week, maybe two weeks, where you're downstairs not observing the children's ministry, you're downstairs serving in the children's ministry. And they've begun to go down there, and I've already begun to see responses and to see that their actions are making a difference in how they see their perspective on the ministry that's being done down there. And it's awesome. And I think at times we don't realize as we sit on the pew and we go to our groups or we do things and we just take in and we take in and we take in, the Bible tells us pastors and us leaders to feed the sheep. But guess what? It doesn't say to make you fat sheep. Our actions make a difference. In other words, you've got to do something with the things you've been given. 
Your attitude is extremely important. Your actions are absolutely essential. And here's why. Because I can't build a big church by myself. It's not my job. I can't have the best staff in the world and we do all the work. It's not going to work. We're going to get burned out. I can't even have the best church board in all of the world and build a great church. We all have a part to play to influence the growth of the church. Amen? Your attitude is extremely important. Your actions are absolutely essential. And for order, in order for PCN to be a great church, we must recognize that God wants his church to grow and that you and I influence that growth. Finally, we need to realize we must do this. We must renew our commitment to the task. You know, I can preach and teach until I'm blue in the face. And you can get all excited and emotional about what's going on in the church and a great sermon and a great message, but until we renew our commitment to be a part of it, to take the keys from Jesus and say, you know what, I'll take the keys and I'll do my part. I will commit to making my actions count for the influence of God's work being done. Until we're willing to renew that commitment, roll up our sleeves, get involved, maybe even miss out on a sermon or two. Why? Because we're sharing God's love with others. We're doing something. If we don't renew our commitment, guess what? Nothing will change. Nothing will change. I'm so blessed. I'm so thankful. When I get together with some of my pastor friends and they tell me about some of the struggles that they have in the church, I've got friends in ministry still today and some on this very district in Illinois that have gone to church and as they've gone to church, they've left church and they've had threats on their life. They've had threats on their family from church people over things as simple as moving the pulpit. I kid you not. I can't make this stuff. I can't lie, James. I'm a pastor. It's against the job requirements, okay? And I told Pastor Greg this morning, you know what? I am so blessed. Because we have not seen a lot of things change in the two and a half years that we've been here as far as a ministry's taken place. But I've changed a lot up here. And I haven't had one death threat. Thank you for that. Thank you. I haven't had to hire a police officer to patrol my house. I have a friend that had to do that on this district. So I want to thank you for that. But here's the thing. We can get our, our attitude affected over things that change that we don't really like. But if we're still sitting here being comfortable and complacent and being satisfied, and we're not renewing our commitment to do our part, then we're going to stay the same. This means that when we look back on 2020 in 2021, we're going to say, you know what? We're still averaging about 190. Still raised about 400,000. Still no debt. We had a few baptisms and a few new members taken in, but nothing's really changed. God, help us to recognize that you want your church to grow. To realize that you and I influence that growth. And we must renew our commitment to the task. We all have a role to play. If we want to be the church that God wants us to be, that he's calling us to be, that he's, that he's taking us to, I want you just to take a minute. Just look around. Just look around. There's room for improvement. Amen? 
There's room for improvement. And we all have a role to play. Ezekiel 22.30 says this. I want to close with this thought. In this passage of Scripture, the prophet Ezekiel is being told to declare and to address the sins of Jerusalem. And he's talking about all of the things that the, the that God's nation, that God's people are doing wrong, and he's called to address them all. Again, I'm thankful that I'm not Ezekiel. I don't have to sit here and call out a bunch long list of sins of our church and all these things that we're doing wrong. I'm not saying that. But Ezekiel was going to a place where he's saying, you know what, there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of sin in the ranks, and we've got to deal with it. Otherwise, God's fury, God's wrath, God's judgment is going to come down on his people. And Ezekiel in chapter 22 says this, chapter 22, verse 30. He says, I looked for someone, this is God speaking to him, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. I looked for someone to stand in the gap, but I found no one. And I want to tell you today as your pastor that God is still looking for people to stand in the gap. He's still looking for people to step up and do their part. Guess what? You're not too old to make a difference. Guess what? You're not too young to make a difference. I tell Pastor Alicia all the time, I said, she has taken the vision of the church and she's, a, she's adopted it and used it for the children, that they're downstairs doing church just like we are. I could put those children that are serving in children's church right up here and we would not skip a beat. Why? Because they're learning that they can stand in the gap. I love what Janine said about Cole and the teens, but the, the, the children and the teens are not the church of the future. They're the church of today. And if we don't empower them and we don't allow them to stand in the gap where some of us are still sitting on our hands, we're going to miss it. And we're not going to be the church that God wants us to be. God is still looking for some people to stand in the gap. So my question becomes, will you be one? Will you be one that God's looking for? One more story, then I'm done. If you've seen the movie Rocky, you'll know the scene that I'm talking about. Polly and Rocky are talking. Polly asks Rocky, Rocky, why do you want to marry my sister? You know what I'm talking about, those of you who've seen the movie? Why do you want to marry my sister? But I can't do a Sylvester Stallone impersonation. I'm not going to try. But his answer is this. Why do you want to marry my sister? He says, gaps. Gaps. Gaps? Rocky, what do you mean Gaps. Well, she has gaps, and I have gaps. And together we fill gaps. Guess what? You have gaps. I have gaps. But together, we can fill gaps. Together we can do this. Where I may be strong, you may be weak, but guess what? Where you're strong, I'm weak. That's why God put us together. That's why God wants to do something. Why do we need a message like this? We need a message like this to realize it's not our job to build the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And as God told Ezekiel the prophet, I'm looking for somebody to stand in the gap, but I found no one. I hope God doesn't look down at Pike County and say, you know what? I'm looking for somebody to fill that gap, to be the church 
to those broken, hurting people of Pike County, but I found no one. God, help us. Will you renew your commitment to fill gaps for God's church here at PC? I want us to close with a simple response tonight or today. And here it is. If you're filling out your outline, you need to fill this out. Or you're, you might be miserable the rest of the day if I don't give it to you. You've been given the keys to God's kingdom. What are you doing that God is using to build his great church? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to spend a, just a moment to seek his face, to ask him for guidance. You know, put, put your notes away, close your Bible, put it to the side, and just kind of focus in on what he wants to say to us. There's no, no music, no, no music playing. I just want us to respond in a very simple way. I believe that God wants us to stand up in the gap to realize and recognize that he wants his church to grow, to realize that we influence it, to renew our commitment. So I'm going to ask you today, maybe God's been speaking to you through this message, and, and one of these points has just stuck out to you, and it's really made a difference and an impact on you. But I'm going to ask you to, to, to make a commitment today. If you recognize today that God wants his church to grow right here in Pittsburgh, that you recognize that it's his desire that more people come to know him and love him. If you recognize that God wants his church to grow, would you just stand up right where you are? Maybe you're somebody today that you recognize God wants his church to grow, but you didn't realize that you influence that. We all have a, a role to play. If you realize that you influence that growth, would you just raise your hand? Amen. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. And lastly, if you're willing today to say, you know what, Pastor, today, right now, on the day that we're united to pray for consecration and sanctification of the church, today I am going to renew my commitment to stand in the gap. Would you raise your hand? Would you open your eyes and look around? The whole church is standing. Guess what? We all have a role to play. Father God, thank you for taking some of the weight off. When we realize that we don't have to build the church, you are going to build your church. You are going to see your church succeed. And you say in your word that the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not defeat it, will not prevail. So God, if you're going to do it, you have a church right here that's willing to stand up, that's willing to raise their hand and say, you know what, no matter what, God, you can use us. We've got gaps They've got gaps, but together we fill gaps. God, help us to take the keys, 
to roll up our sleeves to get to work. We love you. We thank you for what you're going to do. And God, I thank you for what you're already doing in our, in our church, in the lives of, of your people this week as we begin to pray and to fast and to connect with you and disconnect from the world. God, I thank you for victory. I thank you, Lord, for struggles because in those struggles we can look to you and say, God, you are on the throne and we can trust you that in this second week you're going to do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. And today we commit to fully surrender ourselves once again so that you can set us apart for your work, for your church. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen, amen. Have a great day. We'll see you tonight at 6.30.